0: Meditation. 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 Think, depending, depending on thinking, the quality thinking, of mind. You know, there's good days thinking, and bad days. Thinking, and days I mean, days. I just wow, feel like sounds, the waterfall of thoughts.
1: <laughs> Every now and then, a nice... Um, um,
0: I can't think of
2: anything. This is Meditation in the City.
0: The Shambhala New York Podcast.
2: Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City Podcast. A podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Pain in Practice, What to Do. In both small and large ways, pain becomes a feature of everyone's meditation practice. So what do we do about this? Should we move, stay still, take time off, practice more. In this episode we will explore different ways of relating with pain and discomfort and what the path to healing may look like. Today we are joined by Dan Kayer. Dan is a Westchester based teacher and writer who is committed to helping others change habitual patterns, find freedom from pain and create a sane relationship with their body. He is a longtime meditator and trained instructor. After a serious injury left Dan unable to work or take care of himself, he began training in the Alexander Technique. His return to health, as well as his deep experience with the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of pain and illness, inspired him to help others. Dan now teaches an integration of mindfulness and the Alexander Technique as a method of recovering balance and well-being. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Dan to take away the discussion.
3: So the title of this talk, Pain in Practice, What to Do. When I talk about pain tonight, um, I'm gonna be using it to talk about physical pain that we experience, but obviously also emotional pain that we experience. And um, it'd be hard pressed to find someone who's experiencing uh, physical pain that's also not experiencing emotional pain. And when we experience emotional pain, we're feeling it in our body as well. So we don't have to make some kind of extremely clean distinction. Um, Pain is something that we kind of don't ask for and it's kind of against it's against our wishes in the moment. It's uncomfortable, it can be scary, and uh, it can certainly feel in the way, right? And so um, this talk has ar- arisen out of just doing so many different retreats and sitting with different kinds of groups and people, and people are always asking me, um, that have pain, you know, what they're supposed to do. Should they move? Should I stand up? Should I lay down? Should I stretch? You know, like what's what's okay? And kind of underlying that question a lot of the time is this um, strong sense of like a rule, like a rule of what is the correct behavior. And perhaps underlying it also is would I be a better meditator if I stayed still? And would I not be as good of a meditator if I moved or if I took a break or something like that. And what I always try to encourage people and this is what we're going to try to talk about tonight is when we experience pain that we over we feel this overwhelming desire to do something about it. And sometimes, you know, it's obvious we pull the splinter out, we can take a Tylenol or whatever, but that doing something is not the only relationship we can have with pain. And when I say pain, I mean the present moment, right? Because often the present moment has some element of pain in it, something that we wish were different, right? So we feel that something needs to be done when we experience kind of this discomfort. And if you have chronic pain, as maybe some of you do, and I, and I have, um, it, that, there's kind of a sense that you're always trying to solve the problem of your pain. Right, like since like you have like low back pain, let's say, and you're walking around and you feel it when you're standing up and you're in conversation and you're at your desk, it's very difficult for you to really fully enter into a conversation with someone else. It's you're always thinking about I can't wait to get home. I can't wait so I can lie down, or you know, or what am I going to do about this? I should do more PT or whatever. Whatever we're kind of saying about it to ourselves, it's very stressful all the time to be kind of wondering what one should do and brainstorming about what one should do. And um, as you can probably imagine, this goes way beyond just experiencing pain, right? That's the thing that I realized through my own experience of having pain is that pain is like an intensified version of sort of everyday life, right? We often, everyone often approaches their life as like, how am I gonna solve the problem of my life? I need to line up my career and my finances and my family and my health and clean my apartment. Blah, 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 and all of these things, right? And which all of the many of these things, right, we need to do. But when that's our only response to uncertainty, our only response to the present moment, we're really limited and we enter a really difficult kind of phase, right? Where our mind is always spinning. Got to do this, got to do that. It's like a to do list without a bottom. And some part of us, knows that it's impossible to get it all right. Even if our mind is constantly suggesting do this, do that, some deep part of us knows we're not gonna be able to line everything up, right? I'm not gonna be able to make this pain go away right now. Maybe it will go away eventually, but I I can't fix this right now. So that's the, the macro sense of being in pain is that we often experience our life as a problem to be solved. Right, with a lot of urgency, like solve it like yesterday. And then the micro sense, which is what we're gonna be kind of exploring tonight. I talk about micro senses, like when we're meditating, when we're on the cushion, is those questions I was asking. So we experienced some knee pain. Should I move? Should I stay still? Am I making this knee pain worse? Is this degenerative? I should have seen a doctor by now. Should I make a doctor's appointment? How come so-and-so is sitting so effortlessly? And as these things come up, there's this feeling that like this is in the way. If I didn't have this knee pain, my meditation session would be better. Or if I didn't have this pain, my life would be better, right? I'd be more able to do X and
4: Y. If our only goal,
3: right, is to get stuff done in our life, then yeah, pain is kind of in the way. It does often make us less productive. But if another goal that we have in our life is to connect with other people, to feel empathy, to appreciate what we have, to find joy, sense of humor, then pain can be tremendously helpful as it has been for me. And one of the reasons why is like that beginning practice we did where we checked in and how am I doing right now in this moment? Pain sweeps away a lot of our disguise, a lot of the ways in which we try to seem like everything is okay. The ways we try to fit in to keep up. Pain makes a lot of that stuff irrelevant. And we're forced to kind of see. We can't hide how we're feeling. We can't push it all down. It's too much on the surface. And that means that when we're, what we're feeling on the surface means we can work with it, right? If everything is repressed, if our fear, our uncertainty, if all and trauma and, and all that stuff is repressed, we can't work with it. But when things are on the surface, right, when we're really feeling like vulnerable, that's an opportunity to
4: really wake up, to be alive. To find out who we are.
3: One of the things that has been very helpful to me in my own life about pain was something that uh, I kind of adapted from Jeff Rubin's Unconditional Healing. Jeff Rubin is another wonderful meditation teacher, and we he gave us these contemplations about using our own, these old hundreds of years old Tibetan contemplations about using our own experience of suffering as a way to help others, even if we have no idea how. And one of the things that has been very helpful for me is when I'm feeling anxious or feeling pain or feeling like I don't know what to do. Normally, right, I just spin, we spin, we try to figure out the solution. But what you can start to do, and this is so simple and such a powerful practice, is to say, So this is what it feels like to be anxious. This is what it feels like to be a human being that doesn't know how to stop
4: these headaches. And just feel that
3: for a moment. Right? We just hit pause on the solution game for a moment. This is what it feels like to be someone who's really frustrated.
4: Because there's lots of other people that are frustrated.
3: So I encourage you to kind of try that when you find yourself in kind of a difficult place. So this is what it feels like to be blank. And what does that feel like? Let yourself really feel it. We're so almost like allergic to really wanting to feel ourselves when we're in these uncomfortable places. But it's so healing to do so and uh, brings a lot of joy. So you can try this uh, in your life and even in uh, your practice tonight. This is
4: what it feels like to feel so much stress
3: and just feel that in your body without having to fix it or solve it. Because that's one of the real gifts of experiencing pain is the opportunity and the ability to connect with others. You develop so much empathy, so much empathy for going through a tough time and not necessarily being able to completely conquer it or cure it as is often kind of imagined that one can do in our culture, right? We have important to say that we live in this culture where it's pull yourself up by your bootstraps and um, independence is really important, but there's an overstating kind of of our ability to cure our bodies from certain maladies or overestimating our ability to control things like the loss of loved ones or jobs or, economy things like that. So if you do a practice like I was just indicating, it can help with one of the big traps of chronic pain which is isolation. Many people I know who experience chronic pain tend to isolate over time. You feel shame, no one they think no one else feels this way. But doing this practice is an antidote to that. Because of course other people do feel this way. We don't talk about it, but they do. And when you kind of make that connection, so this is what it feels like, you're establishing some kind of connection. So I mentioned this kind of at the top of the talk, but this idea of should I do this or should I do that? That's often where we kind of find ourselves is what is the choice I should make about this uncomfortable situation I'm in? Whether it's super micro, like you're on the meditation cushion, should I move my leg or not move my leg or something much larger? And I think the way that we often kind of approach these problems, and the way that for years I like approached my own health crisis was, is this a flathead or a Phillips kind of problem? Let me just figure out what which one is it. And if I could just figure out should I use a flathead or a Phillips, then I could deal with this. And sometimes it is like that, right? Sometimes there is something very simple like that. But a lot of times. That's not what this situation is. It's beyond a Phillips or a flathead. It's beyond a simple choose A, choose B. And that's where meditation practice comes in. Meditation practice can help you just pause for a moment before having to make a choice and feel all the poignancy of the moment. I really don't want to feel this way. I really want to feel this way. I I feel a lot of pressure to know what to do. Allows you to feel all those things without having to act on it, even just for a moment or two. And that's where wisdom comes from, of seeing the whole situation, just feeling it, right? And meditation is the laboratory for that, right? It's safe. It's protected. No one else is there. There's no timeline. No one else expects anything other than your own impossible expectations about your meditation practice, right? It's just you. And you get to just see these enormous things come up, these big fears and questions, and you don't have to solve them. Just see,
4: what does it feel like to be a human being right now?
3: And it's so transformative. So, you know, Dogen, who was a Zen teacher from many centuries ago, talks about taking the great backward step, right? Normally it's all forward, what should I do?
4: How can I fix this? How can I solve this?
3: By the way, fixing and solving is in my karma. So this is not like, this is like tough work for me. Um, But we generally want to go forward, right? And and solve it and fix it. And so the backward step is just, we pause and we don't just look at the problem, but we also include ourselves in this moment. And the easiest way to do that is through embodiment right? We just inhabit our senses for a moment.
4: Between decisions, between certainties. And that's training. That takes real training to do that because it's
3: really hard. But the state of mind when you're experiencing pain and discomfort is one of tremendous openness and vulnerability. There's a real sense of you are awake. You wish you were on the couch watching netflix but now you are awake and you're vulnerable and we normally don't like to be vulnerable
4: but of course we love people who are vulnerable don't you don't you love your friends who are vulnerable i do um
3: so so when we do our meditation tonight, I just now I'm kind of putting a little bit of my Alexander Technique teacher hat on for a moment, because what I do feel like is sometimes lacking from some mindfulness instruction of pain is the fact that we we are really wired to respond to pain as if it's an acute emergency, right? So, like my arms have been sort of. Um, You know, unique uh, for over a decade, right? I feel pain in my arms and I feel some dysfunction. I experienced some dysfunction in my arms. It's been like a long time, but when they're kind of buzzing, it's like my brain is like, it's like crisis control, even though I know that this is just this kind of old condition. So we tend to respond to pain as if it's an emergency. And so what can happen is the traditional mindfulness instruction of just be aware, right? Be aware of what's arising. Well, if you just be aware of your knee pain or your back pain without any other awareness, like of your environment, of your breath, space around you, the tendency is to really kind of tighten and make the pain worse. We obsess about it. We like It's like you get locked in a little closet where it's just you and your pain. And I have found that that's not a really productive place to be. We're not interested in showdowns this is not a staring contest with pain, right? So the practice we're going to be doing tonight is one that's going to be about embodiment, feeling our body, but also about including the space around us and our environment in it. I feel this is a more kind of a ventilated practice is often how I describe it. There's a sense of us being in a space. So it's not just Dan and pain or, you know, there's a lot more kind of going in. And that's, not some artificial creation, right? That's the truth, right? We're always kind of interacting and part of our environment and what's around us
4: and what's coming in through our senses. So
3: um, that's kind of what I wanted to say leading up into the practice session. There's a couple like practical notes. So there are actually like some kind of basic things that we can do that often make us feel less, pain when we sit that's kind of like more designed for our posture so one of them is that in general it's helpful for if you're sitting which you don't have to be but if you are it's helpful for your butt to be higher than your knees okay generally if you're sitting and your this is your torso and this is your thighs generally you want to go like this you want to slump and then when you find yourself slumping you like over arch sit up too straight and then you slump again But if you raise your butt higher so that you're kind of like perching, like as if you're on like a bar stool, that tends to evoke a more natural upright posture. So for most, my advice for most sitters is that you probably should be higher than you generally are, unless your butt is already higher than your knees. So that's one thing I wanna say. Um, A firm surface is generally better than a soft surface. Soft surfaces, you can't really find your sits bones. And the sit bones are a part of the conduit of how we sit. on um, Sit bones are those two bony protrusions on the bottom of your pelvis. That if you were like on a bench, stone bench, they might be uncomfortable. The other option is a lie down. So sometimes I do my meditation sitting up. Sometimes I do it lying down. I know people who, for various reasons, do a lot of their practice lying down. Um, this is kind of my artistic rendering here. So this person that's lying down has their head on like a little paperback book. What that does is that helps it so their head isn't sloping back too far. Uh, And you want a thick enough book so that their head's off the ground, but not so thick that the chin is jutting into the neck. Uh, Their leg could be either feet on the floor, like that the straight line is, or like the dotted line is, which is people who have like hip knee or low back issues often find some relief from placing their legs up on a couch or a coffee table or a chair like that. So that just takes a little bit of pressure off. So that's a possibility as well. So this lie down, um, and in general, it's kind of better to do it on the, like, a, like a yoga mat or a carpet rather than your bed The firmness of it, unless this feels much worse, the firmness of it actually helps your body relax more. And we also have like an association with going to sleep when we're in our bed too. One of the interesting things about like whether sitting or lying down is better is that um, while they have different advantages and disadvantages, most of the time these are stories that we're telling ourselves about which are better, right? And as meditators, we should be pretty alert to kind of stories that we tell ourselves. So you can kind of notice if you have some ideas
4: about that, beliefs about that. So this is
3: this three-step practice that I really like um, called the gap practice
4: for grounded aware presence. And uh, I'm gonna walk us through it. And I find this a
3: kind of a helpful way to balance out our awareness. So the first thing to do is to just feel the parts of your body that are making contact with the ground or the chair, just whatever
4: points of contact are transferring your weight.
3: You don't have to fix them. And when your mind goes elsewhere, which is totally normal, just come back and really bring your attention. It's like sending these submersibles down into the trenches of the ocean. Just feeling what's it like in my feet,
4: my hindquarters. So there's the sense that we're fully supported by the earth. You're not floating off into space. All our weight going down and
3: being fully supported by this enormous mass of the earth. can't even imagine how big it is. But every cell of our body, hair on our head,
4: our skin, eyeballs, our face, it's all fully supported by the earth. So you don't need to work so hard to hold yourself up. Like your neck or your jaw or your shoulders or your belly we're grounded
3: now let's tune into this sense of space around us so first just having a sense not seeing it but just in your mind's eye, from the top of your head up to the ceiling of whatever room you're in.
4: Just having a sense of that space.
3: Now having a sense from the top of your head up through the ceiling, sorry, the roof of your building, wherever you are, and up into the sky overhead.
4: Sense of miles above you. Limitless space. It's not narrow, it's wide.
3: And imagine the space now behind your head, your back, your neck, to the wall behind you, and way, way beyond that.
4: So miles above, miles behind. out past our left and right shoulders, past the walls.
3: I live pretty close to the Hudson River, so I often use like all the way out to the Hudson River. So if you're in Manhattan, all the way from the Bronx to Battery Park, from the Hudson to the East River, and now in front of you too. In all directions, sense of not having to work hard or tense yourself, but just like a camera
4: aperture, just opening. That this is the space around you. And the last step is to just bring a hand onto your your chest. Just tuning into your own torso. place where we often
3: feel emotions or sometimes just tension. And just checking in. What, what feels alive for me in my torso? Maybe it's my belly or
4: my shoulders or my throat. Could be good, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Doesn't matter.
3: And just bringing a hand to that place and not having to fix anything, just in the context of this grounded, spacious
4: context. So Whatever you're feeling, emotion or sensation, this is how life's moving through me right now.
3: get a sense it's not all about us. There's this enormous earth, limitless space. We don't have to be so in charge of our own experience.
4: Don't have to manage it. And you can let your hand come away at your own time. So
3: our practice tonight is simply going to be noticing when your mind. So the, the object of our meditation is feeling the body
4: breathing and the sounds of your environment. So
3: we rest our attention on the feeling of the body breathing and the sounds. And when your mind goes elsewhere, which it will a hundred times,
4: notice what that feels like in your body for a moment, thinking about work.
3: Thinking about my kids. And then just bring your attention back again, feeling the body breathing and the sounds of your environment.
4: So there's no way to win this, no sense of having to be good at this. Just kind of being curious about what it feels like when the body, when the mind is with the body breathing and the sounds, and when our awareness is with our thoughts. One's not necessarily worse than the other. We're interested in noticing it all. So when things that are uncomfortable arise, you don't have to push them away or solve them. You don't have to know what to do. Other than the instruction, resting your awareness in the present moment the body breathing and the sounds. So you can notice if there's some part of you that's trying hard right now, trying to get somewhere, feel a certain way, you don't have to stop it, but just include that feeling of trying in your awareness. Sometimes when we practice, we have this expectation that coming back to the present moment, it's gonna feel a certain way, like like a white, sterile room or something. So just when you come back, having a sense of heart, Sometimes I do this practice of introducing whatever difficult thing I'm experiencing to my heart. Fear, this is my heart. Heart, this is fear. And you don't have to resolve anything, but just making a heart connection with our own experience that by putting a hand on your heart center, your chest, or or not. You're not in a staring contest with your own pain. Pain, this is my heart. Heart, this is pain. You don't have to do anything else other than that. So we're gonna close this formal meditation in a moment, but just for the last meditation practice, just asking yourself the question, what does it feel like to be a human being right now? Just see what comes up. You don't have to share this. Just what's it feel like to be a human being right now?
3: So um, I like to kind of end sometimes with that last practice because that last question, because I think that's really what the heart of meditation practice is about, which is being curious about uh, just exploring what it is to be alive. And I think that what happens a lot of the time for myself too, is that meditation often turns into this thing that, We think if we do it, it's going to make everything else go away or it's going to we're going to meditate so that we can now occupy a narrower range of what it means to be a person. And that narrow range is calm, you know, confident, pain free, whatever, you know, as opposed to the whole spectrum of what it is to be awake, you know, which is feeling everything. But we often beat ourselves up when we experience things that are outside that little narrow range. So I like that question because it's pretty succinct. Well, thank you for practicing with me. And we have some time now for um, discussion, questions, you know, share about how your own practice is going or challenges or confusions or anything else you want to share. The floor is open. You can unmute yourself or you can also put things into the
4: chat. So the the idea of pain while sitting um one thing i
1: noticed i don't know why this time but having the visualization of miles around me instead of being in my little tiny spot uh seemed to help uh i, I didn't my my body felt much looser or i i it, it, less pain i usually get a pain uh, across the back, top of my upper back when I'm, sick. yeah, and this just, and then I kept visualizing times that I've been in group sessions where I really felt, you know, I mean, I didn't realize I felt that way until now. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because I'm on zoom also or what, but it, it seemed to make a big difference in the way and it made me realize that a lot of the pain I feel might be because I'm feeling like this, you know. While, and and just the visualization of you know, New York and Pennsylvania, you know. Um,
4: mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing is that I always felt that you know if if you're sitting like if you're sitting cross leg or whatever and your knee hurts, you move. Right, you get comfortable because otherwise all you do is think about how much it hurts. Right. Do you agree?
3: Yeah. Well, um, I, I'm glad you're asking this. And I think maybe I, what I, I didn't say enough in the first time in the first part is that I'm not recommending that you should like stay in pain or try to be in pain or that you shouldn't kind of address your own pain. You know, like um, I mean, I, teach the Alexander technique, which is of course like about for many people about reducing pain so there's absolutely nothing wrong with not wanting to be in pain and I think that's just normal just it's just natural to not want to be in pain and so if your knee is in pain and moving it will help it, yeah you can absolutely do it but it would be interesting for like a moment to be like just so this is what it feels like to be." And not like, and I'm going to trap myself and I'm going to stay this, way. you know, you're not, you're not proving anything to anyone, but often we don't let ourselves kind of just experience that for a moment, you know? And, and what I think we often do is right. We feel some kind of itch when we meditate, whether it's like a literal itch or like a, you know, shoulder tightness or whatever. And it's like, we just do the thing and then we go right back. But like, what's interesting is to like, hang out in terms of your awareness both before and after the adjustment, right? I'm not trying to make this a big deal, but when you really look at it, we have this hope that by moving my shoulder, Mm -hmm. I will feel like less pain in my shoulder. And sometimes we do feel that, but I think it's particularly poignant to really like include that in your practice as opposed to like kind of brushing it aside because there's not much else to practice other than that kind of stuff arising, you know?
5: Um, so I've, uh, uh, been having some anxiety attacks lately and, um, it it's interesting because it can really, I can really feel it in my body when it's really bad. And, um, like sometimes like I just I'm like, like the thought just pops in my head, just like, I'm in pain, just like it's so tense and tight and uncomfortable. And a lot of times it feels like. I wanna fix whatever's giving me anxiety um but when I try to like sit down on my computer and work or try to you know start doing the things that I'm telling myself are making me anxious, it almost makes it worse. so I've noticed that number one breathing has been super helpful um but then also like actually getting some space, you know even if it's just looking out my window or going for a walk um you know, it's it's funny, it's like um like I'm still trying to get rid of it, but it's n- like indirect. So it's and and it's a lot of just kind of accepting that it's there, especially when it's work related or something, and it's like, I just need to send that email or or something like that. But to really like you were saying, not try to fix things um and just give myself space. Like it's strange. It's it's almost counterintuitive of it it's like what i think is going to fix things isn't helping and when i stop trying to fix things it helps so um you know it's it's interesting cuz it's i'm um, you know uh, it it's not like a physical ailment but it feels physical and um because i'm at least telling myself oh it's all just anxiety i just need to fix things and there's, it's this one thing that's stressing me out, or that one thing that's stressing me out. Um I think it's there's there's a little bit more um going on internally than that one external thing. And I I think I've I I, I can forget that and and I can focus so intently on on the discomfort and the external pressures or or whatever it might be. Um and so practicing I, I do a lot of similar um liz reed uh teaches the the feet on the floor on the on the ground and um you know hands on the chest and and that helps a lot um and it's funny there's so many things that do help but they're all about creating space and being gentle and having compassion for myself um even though that's not where my instincts are you know i my instincts tend to be I can solve this I just need to put x y and z in the proper place and it'll all go away but um and maybe you know over time those things will help but um I definitely feel like um what you've been teaching tonight is uh it's a good reminder that um gotta listen to our heart and and be present for whatever is going on because sometimes it's out of our control and sometimes what I think is the answer may not be so thank you for this practice uh, really grateful for it and um, yeah I don't even have any questions because it's just like I know just got to stick with it and keep practicing and just keep feeling it and over time things will get you know a little bit clearer hopefully and, and settled
3: so thank you. Thanks, Bobby. And I, I just want to say thanks for sharing. Um, but you know, it's important to include your own, include your own feeling that you want it to go away. It's okay that you want it to go away. And if you don't include that, that's kind of like denial too. So I think that's like an important thing, you know, certainly in like, kind of like wellness circles, we like don't, you know, I don't want to be this like pushy person that's obsessed with curing myself, You know but it's like, yeah, like you don't want to feel this way. You don't like, you know, or whatever is arising. It's important to acknowledge all the kind of like a 360 degree awareness, right. Of like, you know, we we have often like a lot of conflicting kind of feelings and the space is created not by pushing that stuff away, but actually by recognizing and acknowledging it. That's actually how kind of space is, is created. You know, I'm kind of what you were saying makes me think, you know i'm i've long been interested in kind of the heartless ways that we often try to heal ourselves you know like i have this image of like a person on a ship and there's someone that's drowning and we're like the person on the ship and we're also drowning right and we're just like swim swim rather than like toss a life jacket you know rather than be kind to being kind to ourselves is the last option it's option 271 you know all the other options are, you know, figure this out, heal, you know, get better, you know? So not that those things aren't, aren't useful, but that I'm really interested in like introducing, not wasting like years before we're kind to ourselves, you know, A- any other, anything else anyone
4: wants to share? Um, I would just add, this has been so helpful and i always love
6: your instruction and i think um you know really working with the concept of surrendering to what is has been a lot of what my practice has been about lately and trying to figure out like what that means and how that feels and i think just noticing you know um just noticing what is before reacting to it um is so helpful to like kind of have that feeling of surrender of it just is. Cause I just notice how much pressure, like you're saying, there always is to like change whatever it is, you know, make yourself feel different, move your body in some way, do something that, you know, there's like constant pressure to fix or move or be some other way. And that what I find is when I just allow this sensation and notice it, sometimes it's not even as bad as I thought it was, which is relieving or it doesn't have to be changed. It can be interesting or helpful, or sometimes it needs to be changed, you know, and then I need to move, but just that slowing down from the pressure to act immediately is like actually so relieving, you know, just like, I don't have to do anything right now. I just, just to be for a minute is so it's so rare we get reinforced for doing
4: that
3: yeah that's so well said, thank you,
4: Cindy You know
0: it's interesting hearing Bobby and Cindy speak what came up for me, this idea of like doing versus not doing right or undoing that like i it helped me realize, and maybe I knew this to a degree, but like my stimulus response, my like tactical, like an analysis and fix tendency is like directly keyed into my sympathetic nervous system. My like fight or flight, like, you know, heart starts beating, blood vessels start dilating, uh, start constricting. And, um, And it's just a really good reminder for me. And I think those things are really helpful. Like you gotta figure stuff out at some point but like we have so much stimulus, we have so much stuff that comes up. And um I, I realized that for me it's a um it's a pattern I just keep falling into. It's like I'm gonna figure it out this time. You know, I'm gonna get it right this time. And uh and that while probably super helpful like in like my development has become like maladaptive. You know like yeah. it's uh it's probably the root of a lot of the physical or, or emotional discomfort you know the the stuff that comes up so i'm grateful for to both of you know um those shares for kind of framing that for me because i i don't think i had put that together for myself so thank you
3: thanks aaron i really relate with that too that that's an apt description as well
5: i just wanted to add one other thing that i found very helpful um and I have a, a, a very difficult time doing it sometimes because of kind of the way I was raised, um, but um, just letting myself have a good cry. Sometimes it is just exactly what my body needed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it it's like a painful cry, but it releases something that afterwards, like when the tears just kind of naturally come to an end, it's always a nice feeling then.
4: yeah I've been um struggling mostly in the past few years, but really in my life with some <laughs> physical physical and emotional pain. and it I find that the efforts to try to alleviate them are sometimes as painful as the pain itself. So sometimes I could get so caught up and okay, I'm gonna try I should have tried this thing or and I'll try there's almost like a little checklist for the physical over here and then for the emotional over here that is always floating above me and that it just it puts a lot of pressure on it so that when I then have reach a low point, either physically or emotionally, I feel defeated. And that is a type of pain in itself. And so when you talk about sitting with it and of course, hoping that it will go away, but hoping too much can also be a type of pain.
3: Absolutely. I really, I, I identify with that too. I think like, Hope is in, 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 in Buddhist kind of teachings, you know, hope is treated like a little differently than we often talk about it, like in America. And one of the aspects of a certain kind of hope is that you stop living until X or Y happens. Then I'll, then my life will start once, once my back gets sorted out or once, you know, my, income changes, then I'll be, then I'll, 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 take advantage of life. And we just do that our whole lives until we die, you know? And so the hope aspect of it also can keep us kind of like what we were talking about earlier. We want to feel less pain or less discomfort, but we may actually avoid connecting with ourselves like compassionately because we just keep hoping it's going to go away if we do X or Y. And so we also avoid like actually making a relationship with our life, like making friends with ourselves, essentially. Right. Because we're sort of like, well, I'm not really there yet. Once I'm there, then I'll befriend, then, you know, once I have a great life, then I'll definitely be friends with my life, (laughs) you know? And It's one thing to say this stuff abstractly, but meditation is actually how you kind of practice it, right? That's taking the swings in the batting cages over and over again is landing on this present moment that is not exactly the way you wish it were, you know, and, uh, we have a lot of conditioning around that. I sometimes do this. I find this practice helpful. It sounds kind of crazy, but. It sometimes works for me, which is when I'm feeling pain. I, I once just tried this as a lark, and I said I just imagine that it was be there for a thousand years, right? Which could one could imagine would be a very depressing kind of thought, but I mean it like like in this moment. I just imagine that this tightness in my neck or this anxiety. What if it's just here a thousand years, or almost inviting it to be there? Actually, even though it's already there, and what's so interesting is that something really softens and opens in me, right? I mean, there's no genie that's going to make that come true, you know. Uh, but what I find is that so much of the pain, like you were saying, Andrea, so much of the pain is about resisting what's already here, just constantly resisting what's already there. It's so suffering, suffering, suffering. And so when I ask for it, to, you know, or invite it to be there or say it might be there a thousand years, it's like something really softens in me. Look at my speaking of I <laughs> got a four-year-old
4: here.
3: <laughs> 7.30 bedtime.
4: Do
3: <laughs> uh, you want to say hi, Audrey?
4: Hi. 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 This is my Hi, <laughs> hi Audrey. <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> yeah. You're not feeling that tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: uh okay um any anything else maybe before before she puts me to bed and no uh, i mean that, <laughs> any other um anything else that anyone wants to share or ask or?
4: um i like to ask um when uh do you have
1: regular sessions
3: yeah um i'm glad you asked cuz i forgot um so Every Monday night, I have a drop-in group called Your Body is Your Practice. It's at 8 p.m. It's 45 minutes. You can sign up on my website, which is dancair.co. And then I also have a newsletter on Substack, um, which I'll share here, which you can sign up for. It's free. And um, you can go through the, the the catalog of it, too. But a lot of this stuff that we're talking about today are things that I write about or interview people about. So um, that's available to you too. It's called the In Between, my newsletter.
4: And they're both wonderful. Yeah.
3: yeah
1: I'm on that
4: one. Yeah.
3: Yeah, they're amazing.
4: Oh. Monday night session is great. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we started that like right when the pandemic began, and it's been going ever since. It's always good at the end of a practice session to dedicate the merit. And so Dedicating the merit is kind of like, you know, some of you know about this, but um, Audrey, you can learn about dedicating the merit too, okay? So dedicate the merit is when you do something, right, that has like value, you put effort into something, right? And you don't want to just do it and then shrug it off and move on immediately to the next thing, right? You want to have this intention because our intention is powerful. It's one of the most powerful tools we have. So we have this intention for it to benefit ourselves and others. So let's try it, and then I'll have you gone when we're ready to close, okay?
4: Okay. She
3: loves that part. Okay, so you can close your eyes for a moment and just feel into your body.
4: And
3: so whatever resonated with you tonight, whatever insights, whatever confusions and struggles and just the effort in showing up and listening to each other and coming back to the present moment, unconditional friendliness. May this be a benefit to you and your friends and your family and neighbors. And the wish is that may we actually be a benefit. May our we be a benefit to all beings, even if we're not sure how, but that's our wish. You can offer a bow if you'd like.
4: Okay. Maestro. (laughs) Yay!
3: <laughs> all right. It was really nice to see a lot of old friends here and stuff. So thank you all. Yeah, so it was great as,
1: great as usual.
3: Be in touch.
4: Yeah. Thank,
1: you. thank hey, you. Say hi to your dad. Very much. I
4: will. I will. Uh-huh. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye bye. Thanks.
2: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.